we're so excited today to be talking about another of the Disney canon films in our Talking Disney series that we have been doing. I think this is our 17th, if I'm not mistaken, episode of the podcast. And the number generator declared what we're supposed to talk about, and it landed on the 1985 Disney classic as they like to call them all of them are classics we're talking about, yeah, we were talking about the black cauldron <laughs> this is the <laughs> film from walt disney animation studios and i'm rachel stanford is here hi rachel <laughs> yes so thank you very much for watching this movie oh yeah i know i saw yeah I'm just glad I could talk with you about it. <laughs> I, need, <laughs> I always feel like I need therapy after watching this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it practically is ever, ever known, not only as one of the great box office failures of all time, and not just Disney, uh, but it practically brought down the whole studio. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it was almost yeah. the last. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes. So it's pretty interesting, though. It's one of those movies that probably is more interesting to talk about than I actually watch. Uh, but <laughs> well said. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the, the Black Cauldron, 1985. It was directed by Ted Berman and Richard Rich. Richard Rich. Yes. So <laughs> this is, I think, maybe his last. I know, I'm not sure. Uh, when he was done with Disney, but he uh, he went on to do the princess and the Swan Princess, and which was very popular, especially here in Utah. And uh, uh, yeah, so this is <laughs> this is an interesting movie because I think that they were trying to get into kind of that fantasy uh, sphere that was sort of popular at the time. Yes. You had you had Ralph Bashki's Lord of the Rings. You had uh, the Secret of Nim that had come out from uh, the um, uh, the Don Bluth team. Uh, you had other films from sort of that era that were you know sort of epic and fantasy, and, and even Star Wars to a certain extent right. <laughs> was part of that. Yeah, uh, sort of movement, and I think that's why they they wanted to uh, to do that. And one of the things I actually really respect is. The uh, the the author of the books, Lloyd Alexander, the Chronicles of Puritan, he seems like the most well-adjusted author of anybody I've ever known because I've never heard him say anything of but like they had to do their vision. I sold you know the book, they did their own thing, and that's fine. Like he just has such a great attitude about this whole thing, which I really admire. Yeah, he's. Interesting to know because I I haven't read these books. I, I believe that this that the Black Cauldron is based on loosely based on the first two books in the Chronicles of, of Pure Dane, however you say it, series. Um, is that what you, you Yeah, know? that it's very loosely based yeah. on those series and uh, that a lot of the fans of the books are really upset. But everything right. I've ever heard from him has always just been like Totally He's been chill. 
about it. Good for him. I wonder yeah. if he, how much if he if they even consulted with him on the film. You know, who knows how that the how that whole thing um, worked. And so I always feel, and I felt like, and I feel even more after this 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 viewing is that when I get really critical or nitpicky about the characters in the story, I. I'm by no means an expert because I haven't read the books my, myself, you know. So maybe, maybe the this is the way that the, some of these characters are, are put in the books, and I'm not trying to slam Lloyd Alexander either. <laughs> but I but have I, never read the books either because I'm not a fantasy person. Uh, but I've just heard from other people that it's wow. I've I've heard that too. That is wow. yeah. That it's it's not. And it's this not was really the close. real brainchild of Ron Miller, who just recently passed away the CEO, uh, he was trying to get, he, he had inspired a lot of kind of darker themes, darker content for Disney uh, with movies like uh, oh my gosh, Watcher in the Woods. Yeah. Uh, the, um, uh, oh, what's the Ray Bradbury one? Uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes. Yeah, that one. Well, and even, you know, The Black Hole, which was kind of like, uh, in a way, uh, uh, their Star Wars, you know, their answer to Star Wars. That, that's right. a really, that's a really dark movie, mm-hmm. even though that was in 1979. But I kind of refer to these as you know the two black movies <laughs> from you know very dark movies yeah. with the black you know the black hole and then the black cauldron. I I kind of actually I, I kind of the the black hole is a guilty pleasure of mine, but it's it's really it's it's a, it's a problematic film too like this one <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i like the black cauldron it's definitely really weird it's really weird i actually think it's more star trek than star wars yes agreed it feels very star trek it's me. very it's much more star trek yeah yeah in tone and yeah yeah and but uh but yeah so there was just, just that feeling of wanting to kind of go in darker directions and be more adult and everything so you kind of saw that again later on with the, when Michael Eisner was in charge and him trying to kind of get a more adult feel into, uh, you know, things like Alien Encounter and yeah. some of the other projects. And yeah. uh, it's never done all that well for Disney. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. It's know, never, uh, yeah. That's their current problem. We'll see now that they're kind of in a new era with the acquisition of Fox, but for a long time in the last probably 20 years, definitely the thought has kind of been to know what you are, know your space, and not really push. And some people are like, oh, they don't t- take any risks. They're really boring. But you, can, you can't really blame them. That almost every time the Disney company as a whole took big risk, it, it failed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. And Rachel, I could be a little off on my timeline too, but I think this was clearly, I don't know if this was the movie that got the board of directors to, and, and, you know, Roy Disney, Roy Disney's son, you know, who was a big advocate with, with, particularly with, with Disney animation, but to bring in Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Gassenberg. And if I'm not mistaken, this, the Black Cauldron was just about to get released when they brought them on and they just, I think they saw it. They didn't know what to do with it. Like, we'll just release it. You know I mean? Because it's just like, we, we can't fix it. You know, they're not, I, think they, I think they were done spending money on it. And they're just like, we've got to get this released. I hope I'm being yeah, accurate no, with that. So. But I, and, 
after had been, I guess there was a screening that was not good. It did not go well. And it was originally going to go out, going to be released in 1984. They had this screening in Burbank and it went terrible. And so Jeffrey Katzenberger was freaked out. And evidently it was too intense and frightening for the majority of the children in the audience. And man, I would kill to see that rough cut. Oh, that would yeah. be so interesting. Wouldn't that be so fascinating? It would, actually, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, frankly, it might have been. I wonder if it would have been a better film. I wonder. It, but it can't have been. It could have been anywhere. Yeah. Let's be real. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. then Jeffrey Katzenberg went in to literally went, I believe, went into the editing room. Like, he literally oh, that's made. That's right. I've heard this story, too. The real and uh, that he thought were particularly graphic, that he thought would alienate children, family audiences. He, uh, he uh, it says that films were generally edited in storyboard form using Leica reels, later known as animatics. And uh, they, so uh, Joe Hale, the producer, objected to Katzenberg's demands. Katzenberg responded by having the film brought into an edit bay and editing the film himself, which is nuts. And yeah. Can you imagine if Bob Iger was like sitting in the Endgame, <laughs> <laughs> making cuts to your movie? Like, <laughs> <laughs> holy smokes! And I guess Michael Eisner like freaked out that Katzenberg, rightfully so, had done this, and uh, <laughs> and so and they delayed it for a whole another year. Okay, well, for another like seven months, because it was going to be released at uh, Christmas in 1984, delayed it till 1985. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I guess it was ultimately cut by 12 minutes with existing scenes rewritten, reanimated for continuity. And this is many of the cut scenes involved extended character interactions, but other trims involved violent content, including the undead cauldron born who are used as the Horn King's army in the final act of the film. Yeah. Those, yeah. Because that's so, that's so truncated. That totally makes sense. Because it's just like, oh, then it's over. You know, like, okay. Yeah. 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 And he says, well, most of the scenes were seamlessly removed from the film. That's <laughs> the debate. But the, the Cauldron Born sequence contains rather recognizable lapses because the removal of the scenes of the Cauldron Born mauling the henchmen as well as one of them being dissolved by the mist creates a jump in the film's soundtrack. Oh, interesting. So, okay. I yeah, just, well, you know, and it is the first Disney animation film to receive a PG rating. Yes. Too, even with, even in this cut version. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. but I'm curious, I sure would love to see that stuff that got, Ugh. Got slide just, got edited out by Jeffrey Katzenberg. <laughs> I, know, it's crazy. I cannot imagine Katzenberg. <laughs> wow. I mean, Michael Eisner must have just lost it. Like, <laughs> yeah. By then, they were probably just so tired and so frustrated, and uh, it's <laughs> it's crazy. It's I mean, crazy, and then you know, thankfully. They turned it around because then we got just that whole, you know, all that goodness that came out, you know. Yeah. But here, here, I just feel like this clearly was rock bottom, you know. Yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah. It really, I mean, it was, it's one of the biggest 
box office failures in yeah. three movies, not yeah. just Disney. That's insane. So and I, yeah, I like how, I mean, to his credit, I like how they did it in widescreen, you know, because I think that that probably was, I bet some of, I thought some of those shots were really cool in the film. I paid, I was trying to pay closer attention to the animation this through this round too, mm-hmm. but still there are so many problems and <laughs> it was, and it's so inconsistent, you yeah. know, that. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't hate the animation uh, for the most part, but, um, but yeah, the, it starts out the movie with the evil King is thrown back into, it gives the sort of lore at the beginning uh, and I, I forgot to write down who the narrator is. It's John Houston, which <laughs> totally freaked me out. I didn't either. I didn't know that or I had forgotten. I'm like, what? They got John Houston to do. <laughs> yeah, but it does anyway. feel very Lord of the Ringsy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it does. And so you find out that the evil king has been thrown into the Black Cauldron and uh, he can only be released through this, I think the sword or whatever. And then the, uh, when he's released, then the armies of the dead, whoever owns, whoever unleashes the Black Cauldron will be able to rule over the armies of the dead or something like that. <laughs> right, right. This, yeah, the, this Black Cauldron, yeah, it was if whoever whoever possesses it and yeah, it does whatever you're supposed to do to it. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's gonna be yeah, like the king of all evil. Right, and so then we get to meet Taryn, our lead character. He is working in a pig pen uh, for the uh, what's that guy's name? Dalden, or I, I think that's how you pronounce it. There's a lot of weird names. <laughs> All the names are weird. Yeah. I've, uh, yeah. Yes. And so Dalvin is uh, the pig farmer, but he makes Taryn work uh, with this particular pig named Henpen. And Taryn hen, wants hen, to... Hen, hen win. Hen or hen. hen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Henpen. Is it Henpen? No, it's, I, I think hen it's Hen win. You're you're uh, you're right. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, just so, so, just so no, no one comes after us, right? And <laughs> when that's right, I wrote yeah. it down. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> this is the weirdest thing. I guess this is part of the book that the pig right. is a magic pig that can uh, has visions of the future when he puts his snout in water. Yeah. Like, what in the world? This oracular pig. <laughs> and yeah, I just hear that's what it, you know, it's probably from the book, and it's weird, but it's, it's it's weird. It's super weird. Yeah. And so, yeah, Taryn, he has these dreams of becoming a hero. He wants to be famous. And the problem with Taryn is that he he doesn't want to help people. He has no sort of all of his desires, his dreaming is selfish. It's all that he wants praise. He wants to yes. hear for him. He wants yes. to be famous and, and praise throughout the land. It's not about service at all and what he could do. And so it just makes him kind of an unlikable character. Yes. See, that's, so that's the problem I have throughout this movie, or one of the many problems. Karen is unlikable from frame one. Yeah. And he never really becomes likable, you know, because even though maybe he does some selfless, selfless acts, He's still all about himself. 
He doesn't know? do any selfless acts, though. The, the only person in the whole movie who does a selfless act is Gurgi. Everybody else is, is literally, there's a scene, we'll talk about it later, but there's a scene where there's this sort of truth. He literally just picks it up. It's not yeah, that that's hard. true. Because it's like, it's like he's he sword. I, like, why, yeah. is he, why is he considered worthy to pick up that sword? Why, you know, why wasn't it harder? Like, what? <laughs> And he's yeah, and you're right. It's a good point because he's wielding the sword, but it's almost just like it's out of, it's like out of an accident kind of thing. You know, I mean, it's not like an intentional. He's like trying to do something. He's like protecting himself, and then the magic sword does something. You know, to to save them, (laughs) rather than for him being brave. Yeah, Uh, weird. I don't like it. I don't like his character at all. Yeah, and I don't understand why uh, Dalvin, I guess, would give him the task of taking Henwen away so it wouldn't, uh, because it was, what a terrible choice. I know. Because again, <laughs> he's, not, he's not ready. No. And, and maybe, he think, you know, Dalvin, Dalvin thinks he's maybe going to learn something, but he no, doesn't it's this precious thing it's this special thing and, and, then he, and he loses it like one yeah. minute in <laughs> and they're uh yeah he he literally like they've just barely gotten into the forest and why does he lose it because he's looking at himself and imagining himself. because he's having one of his little imaginative things about it. yeah how great he wants to be it's yeah so, <laughs> so dumb so he loses uh hen hen and uh, that's frustrating. And we do get a little bit of the Horn King in this. We sort of see the Horn King is looking for Henwen. And it is a pretty cool design, I would say. The Horn King? Yeah. Yeah, I think the Horn Kings are really, I think he's a cool, he's a really scary looking villain and a really cool design, I think, for a villain. But I got to ask you, Rachel, <laughs> do we ever learn like where the Horn King comes from? Because he's wanting to like resurrect all of his Horn King minions with the cauldron, but how come he's living? <laughs> like, you know, like, where did he come from? And why is he just al- why is he just alone, surrounded by all those dead people? You know, with all those dead skeletons. It's so I don't know that that part bugged me too. Is like, can we have a little explanation about where the Horn King came from? Because I don't think they give it. Do they? Yeah, no, they don't. No. He's just there. And he looks he looks formidable. I mean, I, I think it's I'm with you. It's cool design, but I just I just get frustrated because I just want to know, like, tell us some more about him. Because he's just he's just evil and he just wants to you know and that is one thing that that Lord of the Rings, the, the both really both the animated and the Peter Jackson do so well, is that both of them have just basically like a little bit of exposition. Yes. Boom. Here's the world building. Here's the elves. Here's the dwarves. Yeah. Here's the you know humans. Here's the hobbits. There. And so they explain it all really quick, right up front, so they they don't have to have all that exposition going right. forward. And I think right. that works so well. Yeah. And we don't get any exposition. I mean, we had that exact exposition about the black cauldron at the beginning of the film, yeah. and that's all we get. And all these other characters start dropping in. And you're just like, who are you? And where did you come from? This is a land with fairies and and witches. And so I guess, I don't know. I guess that's the explanation. <laughs> it's just a mythical, mystical land. I don't know. 
But, uh, but yeah, I mean, John Hurt does a pretty good job, I think. Oh, he's, he's cool. Yeah, playing. he's cool. Yeah, John Hurt, does, I think he does a good job, too. Mm-hmm. And I also really like all the atmosphere of the movie. I think you get a real sense of, like, their, the way that they have kind of the layers. And you just get a real sense of sort of doom. And, and uh, I don't know. I think that they do a good job in the backgrounds. I, think really I do, good. too. I think some of the best animation is of the Horn King Castle. Yeah, you know, they've got some really cool sh- exterior shots, and then the inside shots. They remind me a lot of of the Ivan Earl work on Sleeping Beauty, and I wouldn't be surprised if they use some of that as a reference because uh, they're very detailed and really, yeah, w- with you. They really create a neat mood and, and atmosphere. What do you think of the Elmer Bernstein score? Well, again, I thought it was pretty cool that they had an A list composer. Uh, doing doing the music i think it's serviceable but not necessarily memorable mm-hmm. um i mean I don't, I don't hate it but i but again it doesn't make me like the movie more <laughs> what's your take on it yeah, i mean i like it fine it, it's not one that i am you know humming to myself yeah like i don't know even in a even something like home on the range i think as far as scores that are memorable i would still say that's probably better mm-hmm. than personally yes uh, but one interesting thing that you might appreciate is that the uh, the soundtrack uh, was uh, done by the utah symphony so. oh you know i didn't know that mm-hmm. oh that's interesting yeah so <laughs> it's well, that's cool quite, but but still kind of interesting i have to Try to hunt. I wonder, yeah, out on eBay somewhere. Who knows? <laughs> Although, I'm not sure if I really want it. <laughs> I do like that Utah connection, though. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Then, right around this time is when uh, Taryn meets Gergi. And oh my gosh, <laughs> Rachel. <laughs> I don't, I honestly don't mind Gurgi that much, but the problem I have with Gurgi is that I think his voice so doesn't match him in any way. Like, why yeah. does he have this Donald Duck voice? Yeah. Like, have a different voice. It just feels so weird. Like, I, it just doesn't feel, I don't know what kind of creature he's supposed to be, but it doesn't feel like that creature would have a Donald Duck voice. Yeah, I agree with you because his character design is fine. I mean, he's, you know, he's a cute little likable little fop, but, oh, that voice, you just, you know, and the munchies and crunchies, you just want to, you know, oh, I just, I just, I just can't stand when Gurry shows up, you know, just can't stand it. Sorry to be so negative. (laughs) Just, oh. And so, yeah, then you have some kind of back and forth. Taryn's trying to save Henwin at the castle. Uh, Henwin uh, finally shows the location, but it's, uh, but, but then he throws the water away and gets, I'm not sure why he wasn't in the dungeon immediately, but this is like the worst dungeon in history. <laughs> it is terrible. <laughs> Uh, so true don't have them chained down at all like they needed to like get lessons from maleficent (laughs) of a dungeon because yeah they're not chained down at all they're just like free to roam around (laughs) 
And so I'm saying everything, everything in this castle scene is way too easy. So that's when we meet. Uh, he, well, he first he throws Henwin over the edge, and then yeah. And so Henwin's Henwin's free. So we don't know what's happening with him for a long time. Right, but they, but he disappears for a huge chunk of the film. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and so then he's in the dungeon, and that's when we meet Eloanwe. Eloan. Uh, <laughs> Princess Ellen Wee, I think, is El, what. Eloanwe, I think. Okay. Eloanwe. Eloanwe. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, who knows? But. <laughs> um and yeah it's very much the same she's just like i've decided i'm gonna escape today like what i know and they're like and i think she might have said why she was in the prison did they want her bobble you know she's got that that like magic bobble thing but that also leaves her too that's gone (laughs) that's right i forgot about that it goes away and and like with no explanation if i if i'm not mistaken because but anyway yeah she's also a princess in like the stupidest ways like it does not matter there's no like people ever shown missing her there's no kingdom that she is named to have you know like be ruling or Or wanting to return to yeah right or like there's no reason for be a princess at all yeah period yeah and it does not inform her character it does not inform her choices She's not trying to get free to be back with her people. She's not trying to, it, it, it means nothing to the story, zero. So it's so dumb. I agree. <laughs> and I'm sure in the book, that's way better. I, I would, I would I hope so, you know, cause again, I'm thinking she's a princess, you know, I mean, that's what they're calling her. She's referring to herself as, and yeah. And we, and yeah. we know nothing, we know nothing about her and what in the world is she doing in this prison? No. And why does she have this? Ma- and why does she have this magic bobble? And also, yeah. she's and she's also rather happy for being in a prison. <laughs> and like, wouldn't she have? I guess where her her aides, her ladies in waiting, her whatever you know that any kind of royal person would have. Were they killed? Were they? Was she upset? By, like, what is going on with this woman? It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. It's so puzzling. <laughs> and how old is she supposed to be? She's presented right? as being about the same age as Taryn, I guess. Yeah. But then why would she be alone? Like, that's bizarre for this. I don't know for this type of story for a female mm-hmm. character, mm-hmm. and she's just a, a huge miss. And I don't even like the vocals. I'm sorry. I don't either. That's the thing too. I, I don't care. For, I, I don't care for any of the vocals. And <laughs> other than I like John Hurt as the Horn King. I think he's. I think he's effective. Yeah. But, agreed. But wow, everybody else, Ushki. I mean, I think that uh, uh, that um, Nigel Hawthorne is always good. His character is. We'll, we're gonna talk about him soon, but. He's, he's fine. But, uh, but yeah, this is when literally they're just like, I don't know where they are. Nobody seems to be guarding them. Nobody seems to be watching no. them. And they're, <laughs> yeah, they're these thugs in the prison and they're useless. Yeah. You he know? just goes up to the statue of the king. There's this famous sword, which why isn't, why doesn't the Horn King have a sword? Why is it down there? I have no idea. And he literally, he just is like, oh, there's a sword. I'm going to take that sword. And that's it. That's all he has to do to prove worthy of the sword. And they get out relatively easy. There's a few little bumps, a few little scuffles. But for the most part, this is a pretty, this is easy streets when it comes yeah. to Yeah. And as we were talking about, he's got, so the sword is magic. 
and somehow, you know, when something comes in contact with it, it like disintegrates it. It doesn't, it's not like really a sword. It's more like some kind of, I mean, it is a sword, but he's not using it as a sword, right? It's like, it's some, it touches something like he didn't cut through the chains. It's like he touched the chains and the chains kind of melted or something. I mean, you're like, it just fell apart. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's weird. It's very vague. I don't yeah. know what the word really is. It's, it's vague. <laughs> well but said. then we meet Fluterflam. Great name. It's a, it's, I like Fluterflam's name too. But again, what is he doing in the prison? <laughs> <laughs> And he just like escapes so easy. He's, he's just like, why haven't they escaped sooner? That's what I want to know. He's just this. Ha- he's just this happy-go-lucky kind of guy with a harp. Yeah. And he's just like, I'm in prison, and you know, he's not like malnourished or you know. <laughs> I think if there's one thing that this movie didn't need is more unnecessary sidekicks. Like this movie, because you got Henwin, you've got you've got Gurgi, you've got. I know, uh, and again, with no ex- with no explanation, like who are these people? Uh, I don't know. And he's yeah. you know he's clever enough and fun enough, but it's just like, but again, like what's he doing there? I don't, I don't know. It's frustrating. And this is when we get uh, Taryn telling Elowanwe uh, that what does a girl know about swords? And I'm thinking, so what do you know about swords? <laughs> crazy and uh but he says you know taryn uh he's not afraid and eloanwe just takes it she just uh she she has no like we've talked about she has no role she has no people missing her she has no reason to uh she's not a part of the plot at all like she's not needed to do anything and there's not even like a little buddy you think there might be a budding romance and there's not even that you know really and it's like a hint yeah but it's totally not earned at all no because he's just being a jerk and and anyway so then they uh then they're joined by gurgi and he finds uh because he i think he follows his henwin's tracks anyway he's he's joined back with him i don't know where he's been uh but uh but then they go and they find the fair folk fair folk and i think they're pretty cute these little fairies i think the fair folk yeah they're a pretty cool design they're kind of like flying smurfs in a way um different they're in the different colors but but i also i like i like the animation how they how they had them glow mm-hmm. i thought that was pretty i thought that looked pretty cool you know how the different fair folk and then you know give it all these different kind of bright colors and uh, again, all they do it seems like the fair folk just kind of bicker with each other. I don't know necessarily what their what their purpose is, but it's yeah. a, but it's you know I'm thinking it's a fantasy novel, fantasy story. There's going to be fairies, <laughs> so well, that's okay. Yes, and uh, yeah, and so they there's the king, Adel Adel yeah, leg, leg something like that. Yeah, basically, they're basically like Smurfs. These fairies. Yeah. 
They're flying Smurfs. Yeah. And uh, so uh, there is Dolly who is sent with them to go to the marshes of Morva and uh, and to go and find the uh, and they're sent they send Henwin back to Dalvin. So that was completely unnecessary. <laughs> Why did like they really like the whole Henwin thing is completely unnecessary to this whole yeah. story. Yeah, because Henwin then is gone and we don't see him again, spoiler alert, until the last scene of the movie. Where, I mean, he provided he's... no information at all. <laughs> like <laughs> And I, I, I guess, yeah, they're following Henwin's trail. So I guess that's why he's necessary. But, but anyway, they go with Dolly to Marva and uh, they meet these three witches of Ordu is their names. Yes. And <laughs> they are in charge of the, uh, the Black Cauldron. And uh, so they are, uh, the, they say the Cauldron is indestructible and that's power can only be broken by someone who climbs in under his own free will, which will kill them. And so uh, Taryn, he wants to destroy the cauldron all by himself because he's still seeking that fame, which is weird. And, <laughs> uh, and then uh, there's... Uh, so they make a deal between the witches and Taryn that basically they kind of trick them to to giving up the sword uh, for the cauldron, uh, but the but they find out, like, like I said, that the only way that the cauldron can be destroyed is through somebody sacrificing themselves into the cauldron. And I hate these witches; they are the worst. They are really horrible witches. Yeah, they are not my favorite, especially the one that's like. 90% bosom. I'm not a fan of that. Well, one. you know, they're because again, they're, they're like one of those things that they're kind of scary, but they're also being played for comic relief, I think, yeah. too, in a way. And it just doesn't work. I, I, I don't like the character. I'm with you. I don't like the character designs, and I just don't like what they're doing. You know, I mean, yeah. part of it is that they're being, you know, I mean, they're being witches. <laughs> they're doing their job, but oh, it's just, it's just, it's, it's really a frustrating scene, and I am with you. I think much of it has to do with their character design. Yeah, and so they're. Why did they want the sword? Do we know why they want the no. sword? <laughs> <laughs> Again, I think it's because it's the only thing in that that's a value that the you know that because you think it's not like they were looking for this magic sword, were they? Oh, they're like, oh, we've been looking for that. I don't no. think they. No, it's just it's just. The only thing that Taryn and, and his posse have a, that's of a, a value, I think. But who knows? I don't. I, I didn't, really I didn't get that. I don't understand this whole exchange very well, and <laughs> and so they end up with the black cauldron, but it's not effective because I don't know. Uh, it's uh, it's not. They're not able to destroy it unless somebody sacrifices. And you get this little scene, a dolly leaves and leaves them. So glad he was in the movie. Yeah. Um, and then uh, a long way says uh, to Taryn, I believe in you. And this is the only s- sense that we have any sort of even friendship really between them. Yeah. They bickered up until then. Yeah. So I don't know why she believes in him, but there you go. And. Agreed. 
And then they're captured by the Horn King. And we do get a pretty cool sequence, I think, of the Horn King calling the dead, army of the dead, out of the cauldron. And yes. So, uh, I Finally, think we get yeah. something, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of cool. And then, and very artistic and I think, and, you know, scary. Like, like that, that would be, that's, that's, that. but again, it's like the whole, like, finally, we're, something's happening. <laughs> and it's kind of cellophane. It looks uh, sort of clear. The way that the the army of the dead, uh, the layers of it, and the yes. way it looks really cool. I, mm-hmm. I like I like the color palette that they used, mm-hmm. and and uh, yeah, I think that 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 I think is a, is a really cool scene. The one mm-hmm. the scene that Jeffrey Katzenberg cut. <laughs> <laughs> Save the, save the original cut. Save. That's That's right. That's right now. People want the song of the South. You know, we should be talking about. We want the Black Cauldron original cut. <laughs> it would be the Snyder Director's cut. cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so then uh, Gurgi says that he says to Taryn, Taryn has many friends. Gurgi has no friends. And he he jumps into the 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 black cauldron which i think could actually be a moving moment but it's undercut by the ending yeah. <laughs> it's not a real sacrifice at all it's not and, and you haven't and really you, spent enough time with gurgi to be really that attached to him no and one well, for me you know gurgi just drives me absolutely crazy you know like like please wish he had jumped in earlier you know because it's just like <laughs> uh Make him stop, you know, or give him a new, give him a different voice. <laughs> so, uh, yes, and so I'm so sorry to be so negative. No. I really. Am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the just the the final destruction because when he jumps in the black cauldron, then the horn king is destroyed, and uh, that all is animated. I think pretty cool in the army of the dead is. I agree. Again, that's, you know, it's the big climactic battle and it's cool. I mean, I've seen it. It's, that's, that's pretty cool. Yes. And so then we get a little scene where they've escaped and Taryn bargains with the witches and he says, I would trade the cauldron for Gurgi. He's my friend. And uh, yeah. And then he comes back. So like that kind of undermines the value of his sacrifice. Even if right. he then if you liked Gurgi as a character, uh, at least like he, he did something, you know, in the movie, and then just have him back right away, it's kind of like, eh, well, that was lame. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, and then Ella Wanway and Taryn kiss, and and they head home with Flute or Flam, and uh, there you go. That's it. That's the movie. Yeah, and we find out that, yeah, that Henwin is back with Dalbin. Because right. he puts, you know, he puts his nose in the water, his snout in the water, and we see kind of a in silhouette, Taryn and the princess and Fluter and Gurgi all coming back to, you know, where the film started. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting one, that's for sure. It's sure it's you know, it's one of those like, I think I think I always feel I feel bad, particularly we you know with the Disney movie because I feel a certain you know I mean there's there I just love the Disney movie so much that uh, a missed opportunity yeah. because 
I don't, I, I don't want to be prescriptive at all, but it's just too bad that it's just not a better film because I think it had some potential. Right. Uh, again, I don't know about the original story, but just even given the elements that it had, there could have been stuff done that actually could have made this a really fun and a compelling adventure rather than this kind of confusing mess that, you know, that, that, that we got. Yeah. And I feel like it's worse every time I see it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, it's, it's, it does not improve. No. Uh, no, I'm with you. I think it gets worse. I, Cause at first, I think when you first see it, it's kind of an oddity. And so you're sort of curious. Uh, and so it, it's there's just no other film like this in the canon and uh, it's just you know the history about it so it's it's sort of interesting and uh, but then I don't know after not too long uh, after the second the second time I watched it I liked it less and then the this time I liked it less and so I had it on my second ranking I had it at 49 in my ranking uh, but I think it would be lower now so I have it at the absolute bottom. I think it's the, it's the worst film that Disney, all Disney Animation Studios has, has made. Yeah, I can yeah. understand that. For me, my, what's my worst? My worst is Home in the Range. That's my worst. Oh, yeah. Home in the Range is in my bottom five for sure. Yeah. But but uh, <laughs> I think The Black it's, Cauldron is still ultimately a worse movie. It's, it's splitting hairs. <laughs> yeah, good oh, point. What are you going to do? Good That's, point. Uh, so I don't know. It would definitely be lower now, probably maybe 54, 53. I don't know. I don't feel like it's mean-spirited in the way the Chicken Little is for me. But anyway, it doesn't really matter. But um, but yeah, so that's where I had it last time I did ranking. So we'll see what I do whenever I refinish this. I do. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Four years. So let's see what we're doing next time. This is very exciting. I know. I'm excited. And thanks again for putting up with my rants. I'm just again, sorry to get so, <laughs> so negative about it. But again, I think it's just one of those, I wish it had been better. I just wish it had yeah. been better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Yay. <laughs> we go from like one of the worst to one of the best. <laughs> Yay! Yes, so that's very exciting. We've hardly gotten to do any Renaissance. I know. I'm excited. Yes. Although, should we? Should we try? Well, we've already done Aladdin. Now I think about it. I was going to say, should we do Aladdin? But um, I know because we've got. We already done it. (laughs) That's true. We've got uh, this Aladdin remake coming out. We should probably because Lion King is that July or is it? Yeah, Lion King is July. Yes. We should probably do Lion King in July. Yeah, that would be, that's a good idea. Let's do that for sure. So there you go. We're going to do Beating the Beast in May. So that's so exciting. Yay. <laughs> I'm excited. That'll be like a palate cleanser too. Sponsors from Twitter. Uh, Zachary Post says, honestly underrated. I do think it's one of the films that could benefit from a live action remake, which I actually agree with. I think that's the kind of thing you want to remake is you want to make movies you want to remake movies with potential mm-hmm. that uh, that failed it to live up to that potential, and this is totally an example of that. The only thing I think about it is that it would be very expensive. Mm-hmm. So they, yeah. you know, that would be the, that would be the hard part. They would probably cost one hundred fifty to two hundred million. Oh yeah, it would be expensive. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a lot so, of CGI. 
And see, big CGI epics have not done great as of late. So uh, that would be the only thing that's probably holding them back. We'll see how Mulan does, because I think that's supposed to be yes. more sort of epic feel. So we'll see. Uh, but uh, <laughs> um, James Sapp says, I haven't seen it, but I've been warned to stay away from it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that uh, Aragorn, uh, Aragorn says it was confused as to what it wanted to be, either a dark tale or a cutesy story. And then Dale 46 Whiteley says, I remember being 12 when this came out and didn't care to see it. <laughs> also, pre 86, if you blinked, you missed a Disney movie. So that's true. Yeah. And uh, and then MC Myers says it almost succeeds at what the secret of Nim is. It's bold and brilliant and a big sloppy mess. Its failure is one of the reasons that animated films, wrongly, are usually considered kids' movies. Some scenes are beautiful and others, often the rushed post-edits, aren't. I love the non-traditional dynamics and darkness. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, Richard Sather says, long time since I've seen it, didn't think it was great. I like Doug Walker's description of Gurgi's voice, Donald Duck on his deathbed. <laughs> oh, with munchies and crunchies on his deathbed. <laughs> uh, Matthew Wolfstein says, I say it's worth discussing the fact Jeffrey Katzenberg interfered during the editing stage. Explains a lot of a lot regarding how the final product turned out. It's a film with a lot of production history and would benefit from a podcast. So we hope that Matthew, you enjoyed our podcast on it. Uh, animated Antics says, the Black Cauldron is honestly a mess. The story is way too unpleasant. The animation is sloppy and sometimes ugly and the characters are all bland. It really left such a bad taste in my mouth that I had to watch Great Mouse Detective after. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad we got Beauty and the Beast to look forward to. Yes, so a few others. Mad Hatterson says, to be honest, the characters kind of ruined the film. It <laughs> made me want to point out what they miss in the book. Uh, yeah. Says, uh, Hank Ellenly, Longway had a lot of character in there. So that's not a surprise at all that she was way better. Absolutely, that she was much better in the book, yeah. Yeah, and he says, if any Disney needs to be in live action, it will be this. It seems live action worthy for the good of, for the good of it. So that could be interesting. So a bunch of other comments, but uh, or one other kind of this is it's this is Leviticus Rot. He says it's not a masterpiece by any stretch, and the soundtrack dates it pretty severely. But it's not as bad as people make it out to be. I personally really appreciate when Disney and other animation studios take these kind of risks and create something darker. So there you go. That's some of the thoughts of people on Twitter. Interesting. You know, Rachel, one more comment, and I promise I'll be quiet. Um, You're fine. The, uh, one, one character we didn't mention in our discussion was that horrible little green sidekick of the Horn King. <laughs> You're right. I and totally, you're right. I, I can't remember what his name is. I think I wrote it down, or maybe not. But anyway, again, super annoying. <laughs> and his what was his purpose? You know, again, kind of comic relief, and he's the bumbling, he's the bumbling psychic of the Horn King, who you think that the Horn King is so temperamental that that thing that he'd be fired, you know, like instantly you're killed or something because yeah. he's just he's just oh he's another kind of like uh like i think he's trying to be kind of like the the goons 
Yes, from Sleeping Beauty. Beauty and particularly maybe even the crow, you know, kind of yes. kind of character, but he's at he's at best forgettable. Oh, we forgot about him. Well, yeah, because we completely <laughs> forgot about. It. I was you know just he came to me as as you go through the Twitter comments it's like oh yeah I meant to mention how much yes. I didn't like that green character either. <laughs> <laughs> One more, one more character to not like in this in, in, in this film. Yes. So, uh, we have been working uh, with my friend Jonathan, who's been helping me to create a separate uh, podcast feed for Talking Disney. Uh, it is up, but it's not completely updated with all of the episodes. Um, but I'm going to put a link down to it if people want to check that out. But I'll also put the main resources reviews iTunes link in there as well. Eventually, we'd like to have that up as its full own channel on iTunes and everything like that. And that'd be really cool to kind of get more people to, to find out about the podcast. So anyway, check that out. I'd really appreciate it. And, uh, and Stanford, where can people find you? Well, I'm on Twitter, uh, at Stanford Clark. And I also have a movie blog and podcast, which is at moviespastandpresent.com. Yes, I'll have that all in the description section, so make sure to check that out. And you can find me at Rachel's Reviews all over social media and on iTunes and YouTube. If you're listening on iTunes, if you can give us your ratings and reviews, really appreciate it. And if you're listening on YouTube, if you can give us your thumbs up, subscribe to the channel. We really appreciate that as well. And so we'll look forward to doing Beating the Beast. That's going to be so much fun. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> and so thank you so much. Let us know your thoughts uh, on Twitter or in the comment section. What you think about Black Cauldron, we would love to hear. And thanks so much. We will talk next month. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye.